Well, morning, everyone. Do you know that this is a great day? You know God's going to do great things in you and through you today. And this is going to be a day of victory and breakthrough for every one of us. So let's say that together, a phrase at a time. I'm going to say it, I'll say it, then you repeat it with me. This is a great day. This is a great day. God's going to do great things in me and through me today. God's going to do great things in me and through me today. This will be a day of victory and breakthrough. This will be a day of victory and breakthrough. Amen. Wow. Cool. <clears throat> well, we had the first of our three prayer trainings yesterday morning, and um, I think there were like 18 people there total. And the video that we watched was just so powerful. It was just really amazing. And uh, we ended up with a limited amount of time at the end to actually pray and minister to people. But it ended up being really powerful. And God's presence came and touched, some, touched a lot of people in a really powerful way. The, the guy that is in the video, his name is Steve Nicholson. And this message that he gives, he gave at the 2019 uh, Vineyard National Conference. And basically what he's talking about, and Steve was an old-time vineyard guy, and uh, he just recently retired from his church in Chicago, but uh, he talks about the move of the Holy Spirit through the vineyard, and kind of like the unique role God's given us as a church movement, meaning also us as a church body, in the way that we approach Holy Spirit ministry. And uh, it was it was just incredible, it was powerful, but Steve started off by saying this, he said, the wind is coming. He said it again, the wind is coming. Again, the wind is coming, and it's not going to be a gentle breeze. He said, when it comes, it's going to come like it did on Pentecost, where there was such a roar, such a roar of, of uh, sound from the wind that it gathered people from blocks away, from all over in Jerusalem. They heard this sound, and they came to see what was happening. And so I, I believe that too. The wind is coming. And here's the thing. When the wind comes, things are going to be shaken. You know, uh, we have a big branch out in, in our front yard right now. It's been too cold to go out and cut it up. But the wind came. That dead branch just cracked right off. The wind came. The chairs that we have on our little deck swept away, end up in the middle of the driveway. See, when the wind comes, there are fantastic things that happen, but we have to be ready for it too. Because the things that can be shaken are the things of this world. And the things of the kingdom can't be shaken. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. So uh, we want to examine our lives. I want to look at my life and I want to say, was there any area where I'm just like intentionally ignoring God in that area of my life? In my relationships, am I willing to live with something in my own heart of bitterness towards another person? Uh, in, in, in my possessions, am, am I willing to live with just thinking that, boy, if I just win the lottery, everything in life will be okay? Uh, you know, what in my life, where in my life am I not lining up with the kingdom? Because those places will be shaken. And God, God's merciful and gracious. I don't want anyone to go away thinking that you need to be afraid of that. It'll ultimately be a healthy thing, but it's also good to prepare ahead. 
I remember Lori and I, right after we got married, we went to a conference. Um, it was called uh, Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts. And I knew that at this conference, they really hit big time on uh, restitution and making past relationships right. And I thought, okay, I had just been saved for a few years, and I had done a lot of stuff prior to salvation that uh, required some restitution and, and phone calls. And I thought, man, I want to enjoy this conference. I don't want to go there and sit there and be guilt-ridden the whole time and then, then take care of stuff. So I took care of everything before the conference, everything I could, so that I could go there knowing that at least I wasn't conscious of anything that, uh, that I really needed to go back and ask forgiveness for or pay someone back some money I owed them or, or, or whatever it would be. And so we need to prepare our hearts. We need to prepare our hearts. And, our, and, and what, whatever God's speaking to us about, that's the thing at the moment to ask him for more, more clarity in. And, and ask him, show me, you know, how, how do I bring this area more into alignment with you. We're never gonna be perfect, okay? But how do I bring this area more into alignment with your word and with who you are? Now, uh, that's all just uh, kind of extra. But um, this week, we're, we're taking a short break from Matthew. Oh, by the way, the prayer training is, uh, we're doing it again on Thursday, this Thursday, the, four, uh, the 24th at 6.30. You're all welcome to come. You know, we believe everybody in this church should be equipped in Holy Spirit prayer ministry. So you're all welcome to come to that this Thursday, 24th. And then on March 4th, Saturday morning at 10 o'clock again, we'll do it. So Thursday is 6.30, March 4th is at 10 o'clock. We'd love to have you come. So uh, this week and next week, we're, we're taking a break from Matthew. And we're going to talk about giving and the advance of the kingdom and how the two relate to each other. And I want you to know I'm not talking about this because I think this church um, is weak in giving. Uh, it's not. We, we have people here who give fantastically, and uh, I'm, I'm so thankful for the giving in this church. But we're not in fear either. I know I gave a family talk a couple of months ago about uh, the fact that we were in kind of like a cash crunch and gave you reasons as to why that was. But um, we're making headway in that. And we'll, we'll give you a report on that, you know, at the end of the quarter. But we're making real progress in that. So this is not about me saying, you know, we're in trouble and you got to give. But there is something about money in our lives that is of such crucial nature that if we don't get it straight, that it, it's, it's going to possibly derail our whole, our whole walk with Jesus. You know, Jesus talked more about money than just about any other topic in the New Testament and the grip that money has on our hearts and possessions. He talked more about money than he did about sex or illicit sex. He talked more about money than he did about prayer and worship and Bible study because he knew that money is something that is in direct competition with God for our affections. And you see in Luke 12, 15, this is, a, this is a very interesting passage because Jesus is teaching and uh, someone in the crowd yells out and says, teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And he's probably thinking, man, I'm putting, my bro I'm putting the screws on my brother now. I, I, brought, I made it public. 
You know, my older brother got the inheritance and he won't give me anything from it. And he's expecting Jesus to probably say, older brother, don't be selfish. Share with your little brother. What's wrong with you? But what Jesus did was he looked at the deeper issue in both of their hearts and particularly in the heart of this younger brother. And here's what he said. This was his answer. Then he said, watch out. Be on your guard against, well, first thing he said was this. He said, who made me a judge or an arbiter between you and your brother? He said, that's not my job, okay? We can learn something from that, I think. But then he said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Wow. Can you imagine being that guy in the crowd and you've, you thought you've just, you just really scored a home run and then all of a sudden it's all about your heart. What's your heart attitude towards this? And then in Luke 16, 13, um, Jesus said this. He said, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And then he says this, you cannot serve God and mammon. And the word mammon simply means money, possessions, but it has a nuancing of, of how money can spoil a person's heart. And, and so you can't serve God and money. You can't love both. And so th this, this is, what Jesus is saying is the chief rival for our heart's affections is money, possessions. And we need to have that right if we're going to move ahead in our walks with Jesus. So the third verse I wanted to share with you uh, is in Mark 4, 18 uh, through 19. This is the parable of the sower. And the one type of seed falls on a, a certain type of soil, and he's describing it here. He said, now these are the ones, these are the seeds sown among thorns. They are the ones, and he's talking about the people now because each of the soils represented a different type of person. He said, those are the ones who hear the word, they hear it, and the implication here is they receive it, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and desire for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So what he's saying is this, this is someone who hears the word and, and they're, not, they're not rejecting it at least, they're not rejecting it, they hear it. And they're thinking, wow, this, this, is, this is a message we've got to consider. But then other things crowd into their thinking. Other things crowd into their mind. And the, the, the love for possessions or the need for possessions or fear over possessions, something crowds in and it chokes out the effectiveness of the word of God in their hearts and their lives. You see, there's this, there's this, uh, this incredible principle that the word of God's going to bear fruit in good soil. That's all I have to do is present a heart that's good, good soil, meaning, Lord, you say it, I'm willing to do it. I trust you. I trust you more than I trust my own judgment. I trust you more than what I grew up with. I trust you more than what I hear on TV, certainly, I hope. It's the case. And whatever you say, I will do. And, and so this topic is something we need to revisit on a regular basis because it's of such crucial importance for all of us. You know, for the person who is just this mature giver who's giving 10% of their giving every week or 
or 10% of their income every week or month or more than that, more than likely, on a regular, consistent basis. And they've learned how to work and how to live in God's system of economy and finance in this world. That person still needs to hear these messages. Okay, for the one that is a growing giver, you know, maybe someone who's recognized giving's important and they've recognized, yeah, I need to give, but they, they haven't really broken through to it being the top priority. And so they, the, their giving is sporadic and it's kind of erratic as to how much it is because it's maybe how much do I have left over at the end of the month. I really want to give and I have this, I'm, I'm going to give it away. I'm going to give it, give it to advance God's kingdom. And that's a good thing, but that's, that's a person that's still growing and maturing in their giving. And then some people, I was trying to think of a gracious word to how, how to state this. I didn't want to say non-givers. I'm going to say pre-givers. How's that? <laughs> some, some people that just haven't really engaged this teaching at all. Or they haven't, or they haven't come to a point where they really sat down and thought, wow, I, I need to consider that for myself. So all of us need to hear this. So it's not directed at anyone in particular. It's just what we need to hear to reorient our thinking periodically. So... What I really want to do today is, is, is help us see that giving financially in, in a ge- generous and joyful way is one of the keys to the Christian life. There was a point at which in our previous church, I was on staff there, and, and um, we were giving on a regular basis. And I can't remember what it was, but I was sharing with a couple guys in a small group about you know, what was happening in my life and because that's what we were doing at the time, and they had shared. And one of them said, you know what? He said, you're giving, but you're not giving joyfully. And I thought, wow, that's right. I'm giving kind of like out of this legalistic obligation, but I'm not like, I'm not like thinking, this, this is a privilege. This is an incredible thing I get to do to be part of advancing God's kingdom. And, and so I really started rearranging my thinking and entering more into this whole thing of giving joyfully. Because the Bible says God loves a joyful giver. And so I, I, want, I want you to see that, that it's an important part of the Christian life. This week and next we're going to talk about this. But further, and for today, my primary thinking is this. I want to give you a good rationale for why our primary focus of giving should be the local church that we're a part of. Okay, I'm going to say it again. I want to give you a good rationale for why I've concluded, and many of you have concluded, that the local church is the place that I'm going to, my first and most giving is going to go to the local church. And so when we say that, it's incumbent upon us to say, well, what the heck is the church? And a lot of people um, would wonder, what is the church? Some people would say, well, I'm part of the church because I'm a Christian and I'm part of the church with people in Africa and, and China and South America. And so I'm part of the church, but I don't go to any church. I'm not committed to any one local church. And what I would say to that is that the New Testament doesn't even conceive of that kind of Christian. Because you, don't, you can't have fellowship with someone in China you might be related to them through the Holy Spirit. You are. 
And that's part of what we would call the universal church, kind of like the big church around the world. Anybody that's a Christian is part of Christ and therefore part of the big church around the world. But throughout the New Testament, over and over again, there are letters written to specific churches, you know, to the church in Ephesus, you know, to the church in Galatia, churches in Galatia, a whole region of churches. And in 1 Corinthians, um, Paul talks about house churches, and he, and he talks about the church that meets in Chloe's house. And so that was a group of people that were, were part of a, a body of 40 or 50 people. Chloe probably was a wealthy woman that had a large house that she could gather 40 or 50 people in. But then later in the book, Paul says this. He says, when the whole church gathers, and he gives them some instructions on what to do when the whole church gathers. And so there he was uh, illustrating the concept of these smaller groups of believers that are committed, but then they're also committed to a larger body when, the whole church, when all those house churches come together. That's the whole church, and when the whole church gathers. And what he, was, what he was helping them to see was that in dealing with a major problem that they had, the whole church had to be gathered together to deal with this issue that was, that was going on in, in the, the church at large. And so the church, local church, is kind of like this. It's kind of like um, an underground river would be the universal church all believers anywhere in the world. Every so often, that underground river breaks to the surface, and, and you have another stream, or you have um, a pond, or you have a lake there because that underground river breaks to the surface. That's the local church. It's, it's when people in a locale say, I gotta be with other Christians. I, gotta, I, gotta, I need encouragement. I want to give encouragement. I want, we want, we gotta, we're supposed to make disciples of all the nations. I don't know how to do that on my own. I need to be with some other believers so we can accomplish that, so I can be part of accomplishing that vision and mission that Jesus gave. And, and then those be believers gather together on that basis. Now, in our country, because we're free and because we all have cars, most of us have cars, um, the local church isn't always local in the sense that it was maybe 100, 150 years ago, where if you lived in a community, you went to church there. That's one of the reasons that you drive through Cincinnati. You see these massive Catholic churches because they were parishes. And people in that locale went to that church. And if you, if you lived in this locale, you didn't drive to that church. You, just, you went to your own parish, your own local church. But... Um, the, the, the freedom that we have enables us to choose what church we want to go to, which makes it then incumbent upon us to find a church that we believe is biblical. And, and it's worth it to drive across town or to drive you know, 20 miles, 30 miles. If I find a church that I believe is really biblical and really following the Holy Spirit's leading, then, then it is worth it. And what a privilege today that we have that we can do that. But the church needs to be gathered around not just the desire to be together, but around the mission that God has for us. And mission is key. It's key to the whole thing. I, I've seen definitions of the church that don't include mission, and I just say, well, then it's not a church. I've seen definitions of the church where it's people who gather to encourage each other, 
for the preaching of the word, for the exercise of the ordinances and baptism and communion and one or two other things, but never a mention of reaching the world with the gospel of Christ. And, and so mission is crucial. And um, what I want to do to start this is, die, is uh, look back into the Old Testament and look at a crucial key verse that people have seen used for, for generations on giving and try to figure out what it's saying and how it actually applies to us today, okay? So we're going to read Malachi 3.10. Is that going to come up on the screen? Malachi 3.10. You know, someone said this, is, uh, this really should be pronounced Malachi because he is the Italian prophet. <laughs> Malachi, the Italian prophet. Okay. Okay. Good. Thank you. You'll laugh, you'll laugh later. Here God's speaking to his people, and they have been ignoring him. They have been, um, they've not been worshiping. They've not, they're not honoring God in their lives and in their finances and in their, the way they're relating to others as well as the way they're giving. And he says this. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. All right, it's been preached many times that the church is the storehouse today. But actually, he's referring to the temple. In the Old Testament, the storehouse was part of the temple. The temple had a storehouse, and it was a big deal to keep the temple functioning. The temple was the center of worship in Jerusalem. And there were synagogues scattered throughout Jerusalem that started when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple in 987 B.C. And when the temple was destroyed and they were all carried off into captivity, they developed synagogues, small houses that they could gather in to read the Bible together, to pray together, and to worship together. But, but the, the temple, and when they came back from captivity... They brought the synagogue concept with them. So there were synagogues all through Israel, but the temple itself was the thing that gave a synagogue meaning. And the temple itself was the center of worship. And, and so it was the storehouse. And I want to say this, that this was, and the tithe, we'll talk about the tithe next week more, but this was all part of Israel's spiritual training but Israel was also a nation. It was a theocracy. So it's part of their governmental structure as well. And so there's not an exact equivalence today between the temple and the church. Not, not, not a one-for-one one equivalence. But what I want to look at is what was God's intent for the temple? And here's, he does say this. He says, test me. And he says, if, you, if, you'll, if you'll obey me in this, I will bless you beyond measure that you can consider. Now, that's a promise from God. And what that means is that whatever giving means today, if I do it wholeheartedly and joyfully, the promise is still good. Because 2 Corinthians one twenty says that every promise, no matter how many there are, God answers yes in Christ. And so the promise is good, but the, the other parts, we, we really have to think through how do they relate to us today. But God's intent in all of this was for Israel and the temple 
to be a house of prayer for the nations. That was God's intent for the temple. It was to be a house of prayer for the nations. And at one place, God refers to Egypt as his son. You know, the Egyptians and Hebrews were enemies most of the time. But he says, no, Egypt is my, I love Egypt also. And and Egypt is my son. And Egypt is going to come to salvation one day. And look at this. God loved Nineveh, a pagan, horrific, evil city. He loved Nineveh so much that he sent one of his prophets there to preach revival to them. You see, God's intent throughout the whole Old Testament period was not just to create this people that would all be happy and, 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 uh, and, and live in peace within the borders of their nation. He wanted Israel to be a light to the world. That was his intent. And so when, as you read this, read on in this, the very next verse, Malachi 3, 11 and 12, it says this. He says, then, he says, when you obey me in this, I will rebuke the devourer for you. You know, what's the devourer do? He devours. He makes cars break down. He makes clothes wear out. You know, the Jews for 40 years wore the same clothes in the desert. God proved that he could preserve their clothing. Uh, he, he causes uh, savings accounts to disappear and, and on and on and on. The devourer takes things. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. And here's what he says then. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So why does God want to bless his people? Why does he want his people to live in obedience to him? Because that's where the blessing flows. It's not, like it's, it's not like a quid pro quo. It's not like, well, if you obey me, I'll do this for you. No, it's kind of like, hey, here's, where the, here's the waterfall right here. Here it is. Part of stepping into that is, do it, is living this way. And so obedience is just stepping into the waterfall. That's all it is. It's putting yourself in a position to be blessed because that's how God designed the universe and the spiritual realm and the kingdom of God. And so... He wants them to obey him so he can bless them because he loves his people. He loves them. But more than that, or at least equal to that, he wants the world to know. He wants the world to look and to see, look at how these people are blessed. Look at how poor we are. Our nation's right beside theirs. Our land is no different than theirs. Why are they blessed and we're not? That's what God wanted because God's heart was always for the nations. Now, I want to jump ahead to Jesus right before um, his, well, several months before his crucifixion. When this happens, they are at the northernmost point of Israel. Lauren and I have been there. There's a place, a valley, where conquering kings would come through that valley if they were going to conquer Israel or when they were going home from having conquered Israel. They would, uh, there's this whole stone wall filled with little uh, caves that have been carved out of the wall so that each king could put their own statue, their own gods in that wall. And it was like saying, well, my God conquered this land. And that's where they are when this happens. And so Jesus is saying to them, who do people say that I am? Who do they say that I am? And then he says, well, who do you believe I am? 
And here's what, how Peter answers. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, it means rock. And on this rock, the second word for rock means bedrock. The first word means rock. The first word means like a rock you could pick up and carry, not like a stone you would throw, but more like a, you know, a, a good-sized rock, the solid, solid. When you put it down on the ground, it goes thunk. It moves the soil, and it creates its... That's, that's what that first word, when he says uh, that you are Peter, Peter means rock. And then the second word means bedrock. It says, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And what is the rock? The rock is the deity of Christ. But more than that, it is revelation of the deity of Christ. It's the Holy Spirit revealing. It's not just someone saying, well, okay, I, I believe that, yeah. But it is when the Holy Spirit opens a person's understanding and they see, wow, Jesus is the son of the living God. He really is. I've shared this before, but it's like the day a young man sitting in the auditorium, and he came up and told me this a couple weeks later, was sitting there, and he said, I was listening, and I thought to myself, this really makes sense. And then the next thing he said, I thought was, and I really believe it. And then he said, my wife tells me I've been different since that day. Now, that was revelation. And he believed it. That's the moment he got saved. He was changed at that moment. So it takes revelation from God for that to happen. But it is that revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And what is the church? At this point, they're probably skipping over that part because they don't know what the church is. Uh, it, it's uh, ecclesia is the Greek word. It means a group of people that are called to something, for called out of a crowd for some purpose, and so they would have that vague notion of whatever that means or whatever Jesus is talking about. How does that fit with the kingdom of God, which is going to be coming real soon? And 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 why you know? So I'm sure they're confused by this, but the part they would have gotten was whatever his church is, it is going to kick down the gates of hell. Whatever this church is, it has a purpose, and that is to advance God's kingdom and to take ground away from the enemy. And I want to tell you this. I think in our day, we have this sense that, oh, there's so much evil out there, and the media is, you know, pumping so much stuff and that's evil and all of this, and what we've got to do is draw in closer. And we need, we, we need to build a fort and, let, and hopefully we can keep the evil out. But what Jesus is saying here is the church is not, we're not to fortify. We're on the move. And get this, Satan's the one who's hiding out in a fortress. He's the one that's gone behind closed doors. And when he makes a foray out into our territory, the only thing he has is lies. And he's, you know, all you have to do is resist him and he flees. He doesn't have authority or power over us any longer. All we have to do is resist him, and he flees. He doesn't just, it doesn't say he backs off. He flees. And so he's the one that's fearful. He's the one that's hiding in his fortress of darkness. 
But the church, we are the ones that are called to be on the move and to kick the doors uh, of that fortress down. And then he says this, he goes on and he says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And he says it that way because it just it's, has such a sound of absolute certainty when he uses that tense, shall have been. And so it, he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom. Now they're probably thinking, okay, the kingdom, good. Church, not sure about that. Kingdom of God, that's coming, and, and we're going to get to be part of it. But they think, as Wilson shared last week, that the kingdom is going to come and obliterate the, uh, the, the present age, the present evil age. And the new age, which is the kingdom of God, is going to come fully and completely. And so there might be some mystery to them as to why do we have to kick down the gates of hell if the kingdom is coming. But he does say this, I'm going to give you the authority of the kingdom because I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. And what you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And so authority to release the kingdom of God, that the church has that. Now, we as individual believers have that, but the church collective and me being part of a church body that locks arms together and goes on forays out into enemy territory to take ground, that's when the authority is seen. That's when the authority is exercised. I just read a, a book, I listened to it, called Miraculous Movements. Great book. I, just buy it and read it, okay? It'll light you up. Uh, this, this was from uh, around the world. A lot of it happens in Africa. But where they, they will, believers, will have a, a, feel called by God to go to the next village or go into a new territory and preach the gospel. And they will take a month or longer to pray before they do it. And, and honestly, that's the kind of intercessory prayer I could get into. Uh, you know, like just praying, let's just pray for God's kingdom to come and sing kumbaya at the end. I mean, I pray, don't get me wrong, but I'm talking about intercessory prayer where people gather and they stay up all night and pray and you're, in, you're intense about what you're praying for. They will pray like that for a month and then they'll send people into that territory or into that village. And miraculous things are happening. And one story that uh, the Lord brought to my mind, these two guys were going to an area that they had been praying for, but they had to go through a village on the way that was very anti-Christian. And so as they're, pull, as they're driving on their motorcycle, their motorcycle engine cut out right before they got to that village. And it's almost night, and so they can't stay out in the bush. They don't want to go into this village because they know you're not even allowed to say the name Jesus in this village. The chief has made that rule. But they, they have to. And so they, they approach the village. And as they approach, they hear this wailing. And when they get closer, they find out that the chief's wife has died. And they have her laid out and people wailing and mourning for her. And one of them who is terrified, he, he says, last thing he wanted to do was even go to this village, let alone try to get up to see what the, was happening with the chief's wife. But God compelled him. He felt, comp and you know, if you spend a month in prayer for something, you're opening your life up to be compelled by God to do something. And God compelled, and then they walked up, and some of the bodyguards stepped in front, wouldn't let them, knew they were strangers. 
But they pushed through that. And he went up to the, to the I don't know if it was a co- coffin or, or a, she was just laid out on a slab. But he went up to her. And then he felt compelled to pray. And he says, not quiet prayers, but loud prayers. And he prayed for, I think it said two hours. This just came, I just remembered this as I was sitting there, so I couldn't go back and check. But at least an hour, he's praying for this woman in a loud voice, commanding and, 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 and beseeching the kingdom to come and commanding her to come back. And she comes back to life. And she came and she sat up and she wanted something to drink and she wanted to go home. And so then he's thinking, okay, we got to get out of Dodge right now. Because if she dies again tonight, if this was just a temporary reprieve, they're going to kill us. (laughs) And so they start to try to leave. And he said these guards that were there wouldn't let him leave because he said he thinks they were probably thinking the same thing. Maybe this was some magician's trick. And... uh, we're going to all wake up tomorrow morning. She's going to be dead again, and then we're going to have to kill these guys. But she wakes up the next morning, and she's alive and full, in full health and in good health. And she was the chief's wife. And so the chief tells them this. He said, I'm a Muslim, and I'm going to die a Muslim. But I have, I have made the rule that no one's allowed to say the name of Jesus in this village. I'm rescinding that rule now. And I'm going to give you, you can go to the, there was a school in the village. You can go to the school and pray for people as they come to you. Isn't that cool? You know, as leadership, what we're doing is praying. How do we bring that here? How do we see that here? We believe we can. We believe that's coming. But the church is all about taking the kingdom into the world. And so I want to say this. In the Old Testament... God's, God asked them to give their tithe, which I said we'll talk about next week, to the temple because the temple was the center of worship, but it was the place that God wanted to be a light to the world. Okay, today, the church fills that space of being a light to the world, so why would I, why would I want to give money other places? Why would I not want to give the bulk of what I'm giving to advance the cause of the local church that God's called me to be a part of? And so I just want, I want to leave you with that, that simple thing, and um, be thinking about that, please. Next week, we're going to talk more about these things and um, delve, in, delve into actual giving and what does the Bible say about tithing or not, and uh, it, it'll be good. I wish I had another 15 minutes. Maybe we'll talk about some of this next week. All right. You know, you know when they began to see uh, the gates of hell kick down? <laughs> Sorry, Micah. I do have another minute. <laughs> On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. You know what was happening there? They were kicking down the gates of hell. Yeah. Sometime after that, 5,000 more kicking down the gates of hell. That's what they were doing. And... When, as this all develops, I don't think any of them really knew what the church was even yet. They just knew that they wanted to be with these other Christians where all this great stuff was happening. And in that early church, they started giving because so many of the people were visitors to Jerusalem from around the world that had come to the, the um, Passover celebration but stayed because they got, or they had come to the uh, celebration of Pentecost, but they stayed because they got saved. 
And so other believers in the church just start giving. And, and they just took it to the kind of like the central, central treasury of, of this new thing that we know as the church today and deposited it there so everybody could have what they needed. But we're going to talk more about that and other things next week. And um, so I, I do want to say this. You could come forward for prayer today for, for a number of things. If, if you just want God's grace to grow spiritually and, and have your heart prepared for when the wind comes, uh, come. You don't even have to know what it is you want prayer for. We'll just pray for wisdom for you to hear from God, you know, wh- where, what in your heart you know, God wants to work on. Or if, if you want to grow in worship, we're going to do a series on worship soon. Or in serving, which is also part of this, or relationships, or in what the New Testament calls the grace of giving. If you just want to grow in that, no one's going to ask you, well, how much do you give now or anything like that. We're just going to pray for wisdom for you and, and for God's insight. So, Micah, come.